Reading of the word is from Ezekiel 36, verses 22 to 28. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. Word of the Lord. So if you were here last week, you actually, last week, we read the scripture I'll be talking about this morning, which is, uh, we're going to talk about the Valley of Dry Bones that was read last week. But if you were here, you'll remember that I uh, got here and I felt like the Lord had directed me to talk about something completely different. And so I spoke on uh, the 34th chapter of Ezekiel where he's speaking to the shepherds. I'd encourage you to go back. It's on uh, the website and iTunes and uh, just to hear that. I felt like it was a specific word for us uh, as a church and for individuals here, perhaps, and certainly for me. But uh, this morning, what Scott just read from Ezekiel 36 is going to help us understand, I think, a little bit more of Ezekiel 37, this valley of dry bones we sung this morning in days of Elijah. These are the days of Ezekiel with the dry bones becoming his flesh. So... Uh, to prep you for this, I'll just tell you that uh, Thursday we lost our air conditioning. So you can, oh, that's terrible, you know. It is. It was, uh, fortunately, it hasn't been brutally hot, but um, we have been, since Thursday, we, a uh, 20-year-old system, we knew it was going to go, but it just decided to give up the ghost uh, then. And we've been, since Thursday, trying to figure out you know, how, which windows to open, which windows to close. We got a portable air conditioning unit. We're moving it from room to room to dehumidify to cool, you know, how it is. And so one thing that I have come to appreciate this week that I really don't because I usually live in air conditioning is, is wind. Because any breeze that blew into our house was like, quick, quick, open the windows, right? It just felt so good. And when it's completely still, it was brutal. Because even though it wasn't brutally hot this week, when there's stillness in there, it just felt stagnant. And so uh, the this idea of wind that just be, we become unaware of. Well, you know, people used to build their houses in the old days situated so that the breeze would blow through because it was called air conditioning because it was air and it conditioned. Right? Some of you will probably still live like that or before we got, uh, you know, air conditioning's changed our life in a lot of ways. People will talk about air, air conditioning changed our, our country and our culture as much as anything a hundred years ago. And so 
in thinking about wind and in thinking about how much I've been aware of it this week and precious as I've been preparing this, because in this valley of dry bones, what we have is, if you'll turn to Ezekiel chapter 37, we're going to go back to 36 in a minute, but Ezekiel 37, we have this famous prophetic vision that the young prophet Ezekiel has there in Babylon, in exile, away from the promised land, Jerusalem having fallen and been decimated by the Babylonian army. And he's there, and he's trying to figure out, where is God in all of this? Where are you, Lord? And God gives him this vision, and it says, "He, He brought me out in the spirit of the Lord, set me in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley. Behold, they were very dry. And he said said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. And then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. We'll stop there for a minute. That word breath is the word for wind, ruach, very important Hebrew word. It means breath, it means wind, and it means spirit. It's a, it's a picture word. It's a visual word. We, we understand ruach. If you've ever been to a birthday party, right? And you say it's time to ruach your candles. Something, it's not just the breath itself. It's what the breath accomplishes. So we have the, uh, you know, the, the perfect ruach picture is we've all learned that when the, uh, the three little pigs built their house, right? And the big bad wolf came, right? The big bad wolf was a ruach wolf. And he understood that he would huff and he would puff, right? And it wasn't just that he blew and had, it was what it accomplished. And that he would blow the house down. The difference in the standing houses, right, was the impact that it had against the ruach, against the wind. So this spirit, wind, breath, All one word, all those meanings are wrapped up in that. Before we unpack this, let me just back up a second, because if you haven't been here, I want to just give you a running start and a little picture. God has been, is angry with his people because they have violated his covenant. That's the whole background of Ezekiel. And that he says, I have to get your attention and so I'm going to allow Jerusalem where you have presumed upon my spirit. I'm going to allow it to fall. I'm going to allow it to be decimated. And they couldn't understand why, because they were God's people. They presumed that he would always be with them, protecting them. And so Jerusalem falls, and he has pronounced judgment first upon his own house, upon the people of Israel, and then upon the nation surrounding. Chapter after chapter, we've sort of breezed over it, but... About 20 chapters where the judgment of God is spoken. Let me just give you one thing to carry away. The judgment of God against his people is for their good and their redemption. The judgment of God against the nations for those who've declared that they don't believe in God, that they hate God, is for their destruction. And so 
He's looking to redeem his people. He's looking to buy them back. He's looking to get their attention and bring them to a place. One of the things we've been talking about is God loves you and me enough to get our attention. And he's not interested in making your life so perfect that no matter what you do, no matter how much you ignore God, no matter how much you disobey God, things will always be rosy because we have some superficial sense of religiosity. God says, I don't care about that. I care that you are mine and I am yours and we are walking together in a meaningful relationship and I will do what it takes to get your attention and to win you back. And so as we come now, he's giving a picture as he's spoken these judgments. And and again, the, the judgment first to the house of God to the surrounding nations, and then we looked at the judgment against the leaders of Israel. And then he begins to give a picture, of, as as God always does, of what he's going to accomplish. And this is what Scott read. So back up one chapter, Ezekiel 36, verse 22. This is important. He says, Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It isn't for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you come. This is grace. Because if it was, I'm not going to do anything on your behalf, I'm not going to help you at all until you clean up your act, until you start to acknowledge me, I'm out of here, right? It's just a complete separation. But God says, because I honor my side of the covenant, because I care, I'm going to act, though you have not yet come to me. And the gospel says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You may not at this point recognize that Jesus is is, is for you, that he has died for you, that he has made provision for you. Yet he says, I am going to, because I honor my covenant, I honor my promise, I'm going to make it real for you. And then he declares how he's going to do this. He's, he says, I'm going to give you a uh, going through. This is Ezekiel 36. And in verse 24, he says he's going to gather together a remnant. And he's going to fulfill this promise of giving a land to the people. Remember, they're out of the land now. But God has never forgets his promises to you. He never forgets. And so, just like for the people of Israel, he says, I'm going to fulfill what I said to you. I'm going to create a people who will love me, who will trust me, who will obey. I'm going to raise this up. In verse 25, he he has sort of an imagery of baptism. Look at this. He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from your uncleanness and from all the idols. I'm going to cleanse you. And then he says, I'm going to give you a new heart and a new spirit I'm going to put within you. This gift of a new heart and a new spirit. One of the things that's, I know my son and I, my older son, Patrick and I have talked about is our desires changing to please God. One of the things that he told me that really bothered him was that he, he wanted to sin so much more than he wanted to please God. And he, his mind wanted to please God, but he just, he just, why don't I want to please him? Why is it that it's so strong within me to do what I want to do? 
And the promise of God, and, and as he's seen this change in his life, it's, it's been one of those convincing factors of the reality of God. Have y'all been there? Have y'all been where, man, I'd like to be that kind of person, but I just want my own way. I want what I want, and I want it now, and I want it in every way. And one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, one of the gifts of God coming is he says, I can put within you a new heart and a new spirit. Look at verse 27 here. He says, I'm going to remove from you the stone of flesh, the end of 26. I'll remove from you the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. What does that mean? It means a place where God can actually write his word and his spirit on your heart. A heart of stone was like the way they received the Ten Commandments on stones. It's the law. It's legalism. It's if I obey the rules, if I'm a good guy, if I'm really that kind of good person, that's what God honors. And a lot of people confuse that with the gospel and say that's, you know, Good people go to heaven. This makes sense to us. This is like the human condition. Good people go to heaven. Bad people go to hell. So all I have to be is a good person. And then the measuring question always starts, how good? Right? You ain't Mother Teresa. You're not that good. So let's hope she's not the standard of of goodness, right? Of giving your life in, in India for lepers. But I'm not Hitler, right? So I'm not that bad. So So where are we? We 50%? You're just on that side of the line? Where do you have to be? This is the law. Write it on stone. I'm, I'm, I'm good enough. And, and God in this passage and all throughout the gospel, Jesus bundles up that kind of thinking and says, we're going to chuck that out. So here's what happens. Nobody's good enough. Hitler, every one of us has in our heart the evil to do to offend a holy God as much as he did. We may not do the same things and have the same horrible effects on life, but sin mars every human being. And he says, the gospel is this, I will write my spirit on your heart. And for everyone, even Mother Teresa, you can't get there without me, without me changing your heart without me becoming that righteousness that you could never have. Verse 27 says this, I will put my spirit within you and I will cause you to walk in my statutes and to be careful to obey my rules. So see, I'm going to change your desires. A lot of people say, well, gosh, if I really give my heart to the Lord, is he going to you know, send me to Africa or the stereotypical? Is he going to make me do something I don't want to do? No, you know what's going to happen if you give your heart to Jesus? He's going to change your desires to do the things you've always wanted to do but never thought you could. Because what he does is he comes in and he revolutionizes your heart. You say, well, I, I don't want to be whatever role it's been given. I, I don't want to do that and then... When you submit to the Lord, your identity begins to change. And you say, I, I want somehow to do what I never thought I would. You shall dwell in a land that I gave to your fathers. The promise fulfilled, verse 28. You shall be my people. I will be your God. I will deliver you from all uncleanness. I will summon the grain and make it abundant. I will make the fruit of the tree and increase the fields abundant. The culture, the land around us begins to change 
as we experience this undeserved grace. So now, in this promise, this beautiful promise, now he says, now God says, let me show you what I see. Now I'm going to give you Ezekiel a picture. Here I've told you what's going to happen, this beautiful picture of lives changing and hearts being so great. And here's the status of the people now. Dead bones. Very dry. You know, these old, uh, old near-death experiences, people love to read books about, you know, I went to heaven for 10 minutes or whatever. You know, there's a whole genre. You look on Goodreads, there's like a whole genre of near, you know, I died and this happened to me or that happened to me. Well, here's the interesting thing about all those books. It's ju- they die, and then like a minute later, like they're being, re- and then they, they float out. And with, it's, it's like seconds after death, they have this experience, and they're going down the tunnel, or they come back. I don't really read those things. I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting, I guess, but, you know, it's, it's, they're, they're anecdotal. They're people's stories. What I find really interesting is I have never read one that says, I died. 30 years later, my bones were in the ground, really, really dry, and I was, you know, decades later, and I'm sitting there, and I think, yeah, I'm having a, you know, I'm, I'm complete, he's completely dead. Like, dead, 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 nothing left. And now, what do you see? Is it possible? It's one thing if the last breath has come out of someone, and you say, I have the faith. I mean, can't you get breathing again? Have you have you gone like lately and dug up a skeleton and said, I really have a lot of faith that you're just going to come back? I don't think anybody does that. What the picture is here, you're dead. The armies of Jerusalem, you're, you're as a people are decimated. You've got nothing, no hope, no possibility in human eyes. And the Spirit says to Ezekiel, God says, What do you see in these bones? Is it possible that they would live? I think about Ezekiel, I'm thinking, okay, trick question. God's asking me this question. I know God can do anything. You know, it's the old, can he build a rock too big to move? I, I, I know the answer to God is always, yeah, you can do it. But frankly, dead bone, dry bones on a field, really coming back and So smart answer, very diplomatic answer. Lord, you know the answer. If God asks you a question, that's a really safe response. You know. Right back at you, God. It's an interesting thing because God does not say to Ezekiel, all right, let me show you. Sit back, Ezekiel. Sit down. I'm about to work my stuff. Bones start to come back. He says, no. He puts Ezekiel right in the center of this reclamation project. And he says, here's what we're going to do, son of man. And this son of man, by the way, he's referred to it all throughout. He never uses the word Ezekiel, by the way. He calls him son of man. This is just, he's human. This isn't the same son of man title that Jesus has given. But he's human. And he says, here's what I'm going to do, human. You prophesy or speak the word over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. We have got to see this. Because here's the truth of the matter is that every human being without Jesus Christ, the Bible teaches, is dry bones and completely dead. Ephesians 2, 1 through Ephesians 2, verse 7 says, 
you were completely dead in your trespasses and sins with no hope. Every person that you and I meet, and if, if you yourself are one who is, Jesus is kind of peripheral or irrelevant, the Bible says that we're like dead bones. That we have life in terms of bios life. We do our jobs and we can be good people moral, morality-wise, but that in God's sight, we're like that floor of Jerusalem with just scattered bones. And in the 10th chapter of Romans, Paul says, in order for us to come alive, there's this gift that we get to give people, which is faith that causes life. And he says, faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by the word of the Lord. See what Ezekiel says? He says, Can these bones live? Lord, you know, Ezekiel, you prophesy over the bones and you say, hear the word of the Lord. It is God's word that begins the process of taking dead things and bringing them back to life. What does that look like? How does that work? I can't tell you the the means, but I know that when God's word becomes real in our hearts, when it when we hear it for real, not just in our ears, but in our hearts, he begins to awaken us to the possibility of a world that this isn't all there is. And that we see Christianity is a change of dimension. It's not a change of lifestyle. Do you get that? It's not just being a, a bad person who becomes a better person. It's becoming someone who becomes aware of a whole different dimension of the way to live. But that's not all. Because he speaks the word of the Lord and he prophesies over those bones. But thus says the Lord God in verse 5, he says, Then I'm going to cause breath to enter you and you shall live. I'll lay sinews on you. I'll cause flesh to come upon you. I'll cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. God's word and God's spirit together begin the process of reclaiming that which was dead and bringing it back to life. That ruach, that spirit, that breath. Do you remember how Adam was created? Chapter 2 of Genesis 5. What does it say? I took something not alive, in that case a piece of ground, and I formed it. And then it says in, I think it's chapter 2, verse 5, he says, I breathe my breath into that and Adam is born. It's not it's not techniques that bring people to life. I mean, techniques may help in terms of explaining the gospel. That's good. It's good to know and understand, but it is God's word and God's Holy Spirit. And when we pray and believe and come to Him and plead, it's amazing how He begins to breathe life. I I wish I could give you a step-by-step flowchart of how this happens, but I've seen it happen in my own heart. I've seen it happen. Y'all have seen it happen. You begin to experience life and dry, dead bones. And it's not only our whole lives and our salvation, but situations, I think, become dead bones. Relationships are dead. They're scattered. Hopes and dreams and things. And you look and say, there's no way. There's no way. This will never happen. I'll never be able to afford this or that. This relationship is gone and dead. It'll never be anything again. 
And all of a sudden, God's word and God's spirit, and we stand in a place, and Ezekiel had to obey and begin to say, he's prophesying. I don't even know what he believed, except he was obedient to God. Doesn't really say that Ezekiel was all that excited. In verse 7, it says, so I prophesied as I was commanded. To prophesy in this case is to speak God's word. And there was a sound, and behold, a rattling. It didn't happen all at once. The bones begin to rattle. And in this vision, the bones come together, bone upon bone, dem bones, dem bones, dem dry bones. And I looked, and there were sinews on them, and flesh had come, and skin. And then he says, prophesy to the breath, son of man, say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come for winds, this ruach, this breath. Breathe on the slain that they may live. So Ezekiel, standing in a place, privileged to see God's purpose, speak God, speaks God's word, sees the Holy Spirit begin to breathe life into this. This morning we celebrate Pentecost. In Acts 2, just following Jesus' death and resurrection, the church is... In a sense, like dry bones, not really even formed yet, sitting there in an upper room. And in the second chapter of Acts, what we read is, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in a place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like, it would be ruach in, in, in Hebrew, it's pneuma in Greek, it's the same the words pneuma means exactly spirit, wind, and breath. It's translated exactly the same, just different language. And suddenly there came from heaven a wind, and it fills the entire house, and God creates a church out of nothing. From Adam through Ezekiel through Acts, God is still in the business. Please, let's not become people who think that somehow we're going to formulaic God into, well, if I just do this or that, if I act in a certain way, if I do something with my children or with my friends or with my coworkers, that's, that's the way that God will bring death to life. I think it's still the same way that it always has been, which is we pray and speak God's word and appropriately, as wild as it seems, God's word has power that we can't even imagine. And then we pray and ask God's Holy Spirit to what they call quicken, to make it alive. And we see in our own lives and in the lives of those we love, we can actually see people come from death to life. This vision of Ezekiel 37 is one of the most hopeful things. It's, it's this picture of how God gives hope in the midst of despair. There was no reason for Ezekiel to hope. Remember, he's in Babylon. It was years off that God was going to undo the circumstances of the world and have Persia overwhelm Babylon, and Persia was going to be given to letting the Jews go back to Jerusalem and rebuild for their own political purposes. Cyrus did that. He did it for his own reasons. He was a tool in the hand of God to see the fulfillment of this prophecy, of seeing Jerusalem, of seeing God begin to rebuild. It was hope 
in, in Ezekiel 37 that was totally uncaused by the circumstances that he was experiencing. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is uncaused fruit. Love, joy, peace. The world has those things if the circumstances are right. Everybody's joyful if you have, you know, the stock market goes through the roof and you invested right. God's joy is uncaused by things in this world. It's caused by what is permanent. Because what Jesus Christ has done is permanent. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, we thank you that in the midst of dry bones, Lord, this, this vision you gave Ezekiel, this valley of hopelessness that he saw, that, Lord, through your word and your spirit, you allowed something miraculous to happen that he couldn't have imagined how when the very dry bones are scattered on the floor, not even knowing which bone goes to which person, but simply obeying your command, knowing and speaking your word, breathing and living and being that conduit of the Holy Spirit, life was given in the midst of death. Lord, in the midst of a world that is so confused, so dark, Lord, so filled with antagonism and hatred, you have called us to be a place of unmitigated love and a place where your believers, where your followers would be unashamed of your word and would invite people to step into a dimension of sacrifice and hope that people cannot imagine but will revolutionize their lives. Lord, let us be people who are bold, who are understanding of the times, and who are willing to speak life into death because of the resurrection. Lord, we thank you that you create hope in us where hope wouldn't be caused by circumstance, that your Holy Spirit's breath brings brings fruit uncaused by the circumstances of the day, but rooted in who you are forever. We thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to hear your word. Apply it to our lives and our hearts as you desire. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me, please, as we close in worship?